If you'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll be in 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. Go ahead and turn there and you can follow along as I read our text this morning for us. Beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the, Lord is the, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, Eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is from a sacrifice, do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your own conscience, but for the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So as we think about this morning's passage... You can see there on the back of your bulletin where our series title is called Our Guide to Church Trouble. And following these principles of freedom laid out here in the text, guide us in trouble. Now some of these verses that we read here are popular verses that we've applied in various ways. And I, think, I don't think we've necessarily taken them out of context. But when we think about... Uh, some of the freedom we have to, or excuse me, when we think about some of the, the calls on our lives as Christians to build one another up, uh, to, to live for the benefit of others, what we see as from this passage is that's in this context of, of our freedoms. And I think what we'll find is that, and what we have found as we reflect on this passage, is that kind of exhortation is really needed in our life. It's one thing for us to be told to go build somebody up, right, to, um, to encourage them, right? That's a, that's a, seems like for a Christian, that's a relatively, uh, well, even for just even kind of the common person, that could be like a, a relatively easy thing given the situation. Uh, but when you're being called to build up somebody or to encourage somebody, by laying down a right or a freedom of yours, that's a different situation, right? That's a little bit harder to do. Uh, and so that's what we're seeing here in the text, um, that I'm, I have these freedoms, I have these rights that I'm given in Christ, uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't have to live by this legalistic system in my life, so I have freedoms to make uh, moral judgments about certain things. Not We don't have... You know, the scriptures, despite what, what some people might think, and, and, and sadly sometimes we can 
can treat it this way. The scriptures are not this, this list of rules in every situation that we find ourselves in, is it? In fact, sometimes it's a little bit disappointing. We, we go there, we're like, man, I just wish I w- it would just be real clear what I'm supposed to do in this particular case. And, uh, but that's not how it works. It's not this, this list of rules, uh, but we have principles in place that we are to follow. Um, and so we have lots of areas where we can exercise freedom. Uh, but here we have in front of us that, that that exercising our freedom in Christ to behave in certain ways or to do certain things is in this context of looking out for the one another's that the Lord places us around here in the church. So let's jump right in with the first question. So these questions are going to reveal to us how do we exercise this freedom uh, in in our lives as believers, does the freedom? The first question: Does the freedom I'm about to exercise build up? And the answer, of course, needs to be yes. If the freedom I'm about to exercise builds up, then I can I can exercise that freedom. Verses 23 and 24. If you'll look there, follow as I read. It says, "Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up." No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. You see, one of the responsibilities you and I have to one another is to build up. If you're a Christian, that is a basic responsibility that you have to the person sitting next to you is to build up, to edify. Another word that we could use there is edify each other. And if you remember from chapter 6, there was this Corinthian saying, and it's repeated here in our text. And it's this saying, it's a Corinthian saying, and it's this, it's everything is permissible for me, right? Or the Corinthian saying could have been translated like this, I have a right to do anything. I have a right to do anything. But here Paul comes in behind that saying with a yeah, but, okay? Yeah, you can say that, but as a Christian, you need to, we've got to qualify that, right? And he qualifies that with a question. Yeah, but does that build up? And so that's the stopper. As as believers, we've got to, as believers in Jesus Christ, we've got to stop ourselves right there. Yeah, I have lots of freedoms, everything. This thing could be permissible for me to do, but I have to ask this question, does it build up? You see, for the Christian, the measure isn't only whether or not I'm allowed to do something, or feel in my own conscience free to do something, I must ask the question in my life, does it build up? Because not everything I would be free to do would be good to do because not everything builds up my brother or sister. You see? And as Christians, I'm not here for just me, right? So it's a very simple point, actually. Verse 24 tells us that none of us is to seek our own good, but the good of the other person. And I thought, none of us. He must certainly, and most certainly, must be talking about Christians when he says, none of us Christians, right? Because certainly before I met Christ, before I committed to follow Christ, that's all I was doing, was trying to seek my own good, right? And so 
It's saying none of us is to seek our own good, but the good of the other person. I, I think we ought to be struck by this this morning. That this is what the unbelieving world ought to be able to say about each. Can you imagine? I'm convicted just right here. Just put the brakes on right now. For all of you who say you're, you're, you're committed to following after Jesus, like me, right? Like, we're all saying that. And for those of us that are saying that, it's like, I need to put the brakes on right now. Because it says, what the unbelieving world ought to be able to say about me as a, as a Christian is that that brother right there does not seek his own good, but the good of other people. And I think we have to ask ourselves that question. That's one great question for us to leave with this morning. Can they say that about us? Can they say that about us as individuals? Can they say that about us as a body here at Southern Hills? That church, Southern Hills, boy, they are a people that don't seek their own good, but the good of others. And certainly Christ is our model here. He sought our good. And so this is to be our way forward, seeking not our own good, but the good of others. Using our freedom not to serve ourselves, but to build up. But we got to move on because we have to temper uh, this. And I think as we move into verse 25, uh, this, this must be tempered by the conscience. Okay? So verse 25 says, Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. All right? So we also have to consider conscience. We have to consider our conscience, right? And other people's conscience. So I'm not just out there seeking the good of others, right? Without consider, you know, even if it violates my conscience. Well, they would really like it, so I'm still going to do it, right? He said, no, 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 we have to temper that with the next question, right? We have to follow all these principles. The second one being, does the freedom I'm about to exercise, and you can see it there on the back of your bulletin if you're taking notes, does the freedom I'm about to exercise violate the conscience, not just yours, but the other person's, verse 27 through 29. In verse 25 and 26, we see the difference between... Being, and we've talked about this, so some who are new this morning will have to go back and listen all the way back to chapter 8, all right, to, for, this to, for this to help you. But, but hopefully just this little summary might, might give you some understanding of what's going on here. But, but verse 25 and 26, there's a difference between being at a pagan feast and eating, like we talked about last week, versus eating meat sold at the market that may or may not have been part of a pagan sacrifice you see they were told when it comes to going to a pagan feast and eating meat sacrifice there at the pagan feast it's clear you should not do it but now here at the market Paul is saying that a Christian does not need to be legalistic about their concern with respect to where the meat came from right there is freedom to eat the meat regardless because it's food, as it says there, that the Lord has provided. As it says there in 26, since the earth is the Lord and all that is in it, you can eat. That's what he's saying. The Lord's provided this food. It's there at the market. And the same goes verse 27. If any of the unbeliever invites you over and you want to go, he says, eat everything that is set before you without raising any questions for the sake of conscience. No need to give up your freedom to eat if no one is being misled or offended by your eating. All right? But verse 28 says, 
If someone says to you, so here's where it switches. If someone says to you, this food is from a sacrifice, then we're told there, do not eat out of consideration for the one who told you for the sake of conscience. But if a brother is there, right, that's what it's saying. If a brother is there and happens to explore the whereabouts of the food, and that brother is bound by conscience not to eat, be gracious. Well, how do you be gracious? Well, you don't eat because it might violate that person's conscience. You, you don't have to modify in that moment or, or, or change your conscience if you're convicted by God that something isn't wrong. But here what this is telling us is that you do restrict yourself if you believe it would violate someone else's conscience. Verse 29, as he says there, I do not mean your conscience, but the other person. So the instruction to not ask questions of conscience here is listed a couple times, right? That's kind of interesting. We're told, hey, don't ask questions of conscience, essentially. But why is he saying that? He's making clear that there are certain things, there are certain things in the Christian's life, like eating, like here in the context of Corinthians, like eating food that is offered to an idol, right, that are not in and of themselves sinful, right? So there are certain things that in and of themselves are not sinful. So he's not talking here about something that is sinful and saying, hey, it, yeah, this thing may be sinful, but if you just don't ask about it, you can go ahead and do that sinful thing. Ignorance is bliss, right? He's not saying that. Right? I remember thinking that's how it worked when I was hunting in Illinois. Right? And, uh, you know, these, these guys that go out, they will get you, right, if you violate the rules. Okay? And, and, and so my brother was telling me all the rules about hunting, you know, and what kind of gun and, and you could use. In Illinois, you can only use a shotgun, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? And you can only have so many, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm going to embarrass myself because I don't know much about hunting and guns, but, but you can only use so many shotgun shells right in the, in the area where the shotgun shells go, okay? You can only have so many in there, et cetera, et cetera, and they have stoppers, and you have to follow all these rules, and you got to wear orange in certain places, on and on. And I'm like, to my brother, I said, hey, wh quit telling me all these rules, right? Because if I don't know, Right? If I don't know, I just get out there and I could be none the wiser. I'll just tell him, well, I didn't know that. I, I won't do that again. And, and my brother said, that's not how it works. They'll take everything from you, those guys, right? The, and uh, they most certainly do. And so this isn't one of these situations where ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss in that sense, okay? That's not what he's saying, right? He, he's not talking about things that, or he is talking about things that, in your life that in and of themselves the Bible has not given clear directive on. God's word has not given you a clear directive on. And so by not asking questions about those things, you can exercise your freedom in, in this kind of a context. But once you do find out that, that, that it would violate somebody else's conscience, right? You, you start asking questions and you do find out information. And well, this is, this is violating my brother's conscience. Well, then you ought to restrict yourself in an effort to care for the weaker brother. Okay? Verse 29 and 30 raises two questions that I think were confusing. It says, why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? 
Verse 30, if I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I gave thanks? So what does this mean? The first question, why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? Or another way we could ask that, for what reason or what good end will be served by this? So he's raising these questions. These questions are being raised to critique uh, the teaching that's, that, Paul's, that Paul's having here. So he's, he's asking them rhetorically, right? Why would, and essentially saying, why would you let another person's conscience dictate your behavior? Why would you do that, right? If you are free to do it, right, why would you allow someone else's conscience dictate your behavior, right? Who wants to do that? If, if I feel okay about the thing in my conscience, right? And verse 30 says, and after all, you're giving thanks. And that's all that matters. And you know what? Here I am. It's, I feel okay about this thing. You know, in this case, eating meat. Or it could be, I feel okay about watching this, this movie, this rated R movie. I don't have a problem with it, you know. And, and my friend's over and his conscience is different, but my conscience is, is clean, Right on it, I feel fine before the Lord about watching this particular show or movie. And, and you know what? I'm giving thanks for, for the artistry of this movie, and I appreciate the cinematography. Was that, is that right? Anybody? Okay, I don't know how this goes either. Uh, but, but right, so you're, you're, you're saying that, and your conscience is clean on that. And, and so I think what's happening here in these questions is saying it's easy for us to come along and say, man, why do I need to let this person dictate whether I enjoy this film that I want to watch? Right? Why would I let, that, let their conscience after, and I'm after all giving thanks. You know what? This person can just shut their mouth if they disagree with me. Right? Because this is a good movie. You know what? They can, they can take off, you know? Why don't they go do something else then, right? That, that's not the attitude. And now some of us, we wouldn't say it like that. We wouldn't say this person could shut their mouth or they can just, right? But you might feel in your heart, right? And I just wondered as I processed some of these things in my own life, I thought, you know, am I the only one guilty of processing like that on certain things, right? If there is an area that I decide I'm free morally to choose, but another believer's moral compass has them convinced it's wrong. Me not caring about what they think could hinder how they view Jesus and his gospel. And that's the point. So it really does matter. And so it's not just about me exercising my freedom to watch some movie. You know, if I felt that brother, it could, it could hinder, like he, he's convicted that he, he's new to the faith and, and perhaps, and he comes in and says, man, man, I'm just convicted we shouldn't be watching that. And I, and I try to convince him to violate his conscience, that could actually hurt, hurt the, his growth in the Lord and hinder his growth in the Lord. And then I was thinking, you know, remember, you guys probably don't remember, but it wasn't that long ago, and we were required to wear masks. Something was happening. You got anybody remember the mask? The mask and COVID, I think it was called, right? You guys, some of you remember that. There, you know, in certain stores, you go there, and I can still see the sign: "Mask required," right? "Mask required," and they put signs up all over. 
And I decided, based on various reasons, I didn't need to adhere to that signage. Okay? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. But anybody else? I know some of you did because you told me. And we were in agreement, you know, solidarity, right? We weren't going to wear those masks, right? And I felt free in my conscience before the Lord to take that stance, right? There's an individual, though, that, that from our church that saw me in one of these stores where, the, I mean, the signs were clearly posted, uh, and they saw me without the mask, and they were convicted differently. And so they challenged me on this and came and talked to me. And in that, I will tell you, it was a struggle. I gave my rationale and, and uh, attempted to convince them to come my way, but not very successfully. And I had a decision to make. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? This, this individual goes to our congregation. I thought, what am I going to do? And I decided I needed to start wearing a mask when I went in that store, right? And so I changed my behavior to promote unity to protect the view of God's church, and I'm glad this person spoke to me and gave me the opportunity. Now, in my conscience, I wanted to do something different, and I had, I had a belief about this particular thing, and, and my conscience didn't necessarily change on it, but in consideration of this individual and others uh, in our congregation and elsewhere here in the community, I thought, well, I ought to. Now, some of you, uh, because you're on the other side of the spectrum, are going to have to give grace to me for changing my position. Okay, right? Even now, you're like, you sucker, you know, you, you caved to the masses or whatever. It's like, no, 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 right? We had to extend grace in that moment. I think everybody could kind of tell their story on one side or the other. And I'm so thankful, actually, in this congregation, I had friends who churches split over this thing. And it was things just like this. Do you realize that? Do you realize churches split? It was just like this type of stuff, and churches split over it. What I saw in this congregation is people on both sides of the issue Right and moving in towards each other and allowing one another to make decisions based off conscience and being careful. It, was, it wasn't perfect, but we, we were able to get through it and praise God for that. The next thing we need to ask is, does the freedom I'm about to exercise fulfill my purpose? This is verse 31. Look at that one. This is a great verse. A lot of us know this verse. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. What is glory? We think about what is glory. The glory of God. Brightness, splendor, power, strength, majesty, honor. Right? What is glory? You give glory. Do things for his glory. That's what this is calling us to. And I always wrestle with this concept. How do I give glory to God? Right? Uh, how can anything I do bring more glory? Doesn't the Bible teach us that God already possesses all glory? What, what can I do here? Right? What little things that I do here that, that could add to his brightness, to his splendor, to his power, to his majesty, to his glory? seems nothing, right? And this is true in this sense because the glory of God is an intrinsic value, right? Meaning it doesn't come on him from the outside. 
His glory is intrinsic, inherent to who he is. Right? That means nothing or no one can add or take away. In Psalm 42, 8, and, or excuse me, Isaiah 42, 8, and Isaiah 48, 11, he tells us that he will not give his glory to another. It is his, it is his alone, right? Only he possesses it, and he possesses all of it. His supremacy is unique to him and him alone. He did not create us because he needed us to give him a measure of his glory he is not lacking but but here it is in this text we see it but he did make us so that we would ascribe to him glory due his name we have to ask ourselves in my life am i doing that that's what i'm made for as a human right as a human There's a God that made me. That's what I'm made for. I'm made to ascribe glory to his name. And we do that by by how? We do that by acknowledging him and by imaging him. Imaging him. It is said in the scriptures in Genesis that, that we are made in his image. That is image bearers. And we are supposed to reflect this image throughout the world. Kings, when they, when they dominated, uh, uh, I was teaching a few weeks ago, and we, we shared this concept with, with another congregation. But when they, when they dominated an area on the borders of their areas, one of the things they would do is set up statues that, that would reflect and say, hey, this particular king, this particular ruler has conquered this area. So as other other you know, armies are coming in and generals are coming in, they'd be like, or, or people would get to the border of that, that place. They would see, all right, this area has been conquered already by so-and-so. And how did they see that? How did they know that this area was, was taken? It was taken. Somebody already had dominion over this area. How did they know that? Well, they knew that because when they got to that border, right, they would see, right, the statue of that leader, right, there these statues imaging who had conquered there. And, and God has set us, set his image in humanity for us to, to bear his image, to, to be his representatives, right? And in order to reflect his glory. You see, we were designed for this. We were designed. Our first step, though, in, in doing that is embracing the one whom he has sent. You see, we can't reflect his glory without embracing the one who he has sent. We can't ascribe glory to him. We can't image him without embracing the one who he, was, who he has sent, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus, actually, it says, listen to this, because it's connected to glory, right? It says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. So you want to, you, you can't bring God glory without uh, grabbing hold and, and, and submitting your life to Jesus who is the radiance of God's glory. To ascribe glory to the one who created us, to acknowledge an image requires us first to receive by faith the one who is the radiance of God's glory, Jesus Christ. As humans, we are designed to live our lives for the glory of God. This is the most meaningful, fulfilling pursuit that we can have. 
but without a new life, right? Without a new heart, everything I do, everything I eat, as this verse says, everything I eat will be for me and mine. You see, without, without a new heart, without Jesus coming and transforming my heart and mine, me surrendering to him by faith, without, without an encounter with Christ, everything I eat and everything I do will be for me and mine. And I will place, hear this, this is, this is we're still on glory here. We're still, we're still talking about fulfilling your purpose. Are you fulfilling your purpose? Right? You see, when it comes to, to fulfilling our purpose, we consider, like, I can fulfill my purpose when God is on the throne of my life, right? But until, until I meet Jesus and surrender my life to Christ, I will place others and other things on the throne of my life that is only to be occupied by God. And as I try to occupy that space with other things that aren't God, not only do I put myself in confrontation with God that I can't survive, I also find that the throne in my, right here, right? The throne in my life that was made for God only to sit on, the throne, what I find is that the throne is not a one-size-fits-all, right? It only fits God. And not having the right person, hear this this morning, not having the right person on the throne of your life wreaks all kinds of havoc in your life. And, and I don't know this because I read this. I know this because I've experienced that. And you too, Christian, right? You know that, that not having God on the throne of your life because it's not a one-size-fits-all. And you, as human, you were made to image God, right? And, and if you're not imaging God, Right, then you're trying to put other stuff on the throne of that life, and it's not working. Instead, it's wreaking havoc. Right? I can't and I won't. And in that setting, I can't and I won't experience the glory, this glory that my soul is after. You see, I was made. Church, we were made to be satisfied by one, to serve one, to ascribe glory to one, to reflect glory of the one. So then, in Christ, it becomes our aim to make sure that in our life there is one solitary throne that is occupied by one God, one Maker, one Lord, Christ Jesus. From this place we experience joy that comes from living life to the glory of God. Right? You see, it's in Christ and only in Christ that we are able to fulfill our purpose. And this purpose is, is a guide to how we're to use our freedom. In Chariots of Fire, uh, it's a movie, it's a story about a missionary who's also a great runner. This athlete is trying to figure out what he should do with his life. Uh, she do missions or run, and it's been a long time, and I didn't review it, so it's like, you know, some of you are like, well, it's kind of like that, but this is how I remember it. 
All right? And, and some might say the decision was obvious, right? When, you, you, when a Christian is put, should I do mission, I go do missionary work or should I run? You know, and, and so sometimes it can seem obvious what decision to make in that moment. One's an earthly crown, right? And the other's an eternal crown. So it's obvious which one you should choose. But that is not necessarily true. You see, because in Christ, both could be sacred ambitions, meaning ambitions that are sacrificial offerings to God. As we wrestle with the question, as he, in actually, as he in the, the, the movie, the, the film, as he's wrestling with this question, one of the things that he says is, I feel his glory when I run. I feel his glory when I run. And the point, Whatever we do, the whole of our life is to be one sacred ambition set apart for God. We're worshiping representatives. We are, and as worshiping representatives, we are to be ascribing with our life. We are to be ascribing glory to him in everything and reflecting his glory to others. We are to have, Christians, one sacred ambition that drives us, and that is bringing glory to him. Whatever we do, as the Scripture says, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, all those areas that we are free as Christians to make decisions, right? What you wear, you're free. Now, we're given some guidelines, right? We're given some guidelines. Hey, you should be modest, right? The New Testament talks about modesty. So we're given some, but boy, within that spectrum, right? We can go a lot of different directions, right? But the, so there's lots of freedom on how to interpret what should I wear, right? How should I cut my hair? Lots of freedom. Where should you school your kids? I know that's things we wrestle with in this church, right? Should I, should I homeschool? Should I private school? Should I public school, right? You're free to make that decision. What to eat, what to drink, where to work, where you move to. What house you live in, what car you drive, if you marry or you don't marry, you're free to make decisions. We have lots of freedom, but not a lot of rules. And so what are we to do? Well, we're to look to the principles that we see here in the Scripture, specifically even right now this morning, the principle on this point of God's glory to guide us, right? Because my aim is to bring, in any of these decisions, my aim is to bring glory to Him. It's to use my freedom right? Not selfishly, but unselfishly, to honor God. You see, to do so unselfishly, or to do so selfishly, right, in these, all these decisions that we might have, it doesn't honor his name, it brings dishonor. You see, the, the issue of eating and drinking that has been a significant part of this argument since chapter 8, uh, these are mentioned here in Verse 31, not because they are, well, they're mentioned because of the potential disagreement over them and how they were entangling this church in sin, right? The emphasis is, hey, whatever you do, don't beat your chest and say, hey, I'm free in Christ and nobody can speak on this point any further because I'm free in Christ and the Lord's given me permission to do it, right? It's, it's whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, use it to bring glory to God. And that may mean restricting your freedom 
for the benefit of somebody else. As we see as we go on to verse 32. It says, here we, if you can follow as I read it. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. So I want to live like glorifying God in my life, right, if I'm a believer, right, means living in such a way that doesn't bring offense to others. Like that's what I'm trying to do. And here it's here the message to the church here in this context is recognize Jews and there's people in your church, right? In this case, it's Jews and Greeks and others. Recognize that people will approach things differently. And we don't want to unnecessarily offend one another and bring offense against God and his church. Give no offense, it says. And how? How do we give no offense? It says here, right? that we make it our aim to please everyone. And this is another principle that we have before us that we phrase as a question, does the freedom I'm about to exercise benefit others? Verse 32 and 33, right? Right in front of us here. Or another way you could ask that question is, are you using your freedom to benefit and please others? Are you using your freedoms to benefit and please others as a Christian? Here's another way you could ask it, and this is maybe a little harder, but what things have you given up in your Christian life? What things have you given up for the sake of others? Write them down right now in your notes. Just consider, what things have you given up for the sake of others? That's what this is saying, and I think as I'm reading this, it hit me. It's like, oh my goodness, we all ought to have a list. I think, of things that we've given up for the benefit of other people, right? Because this is how we help people see the glory that we've been given in Christ. This is how we function as his image bearers. And we don't want to act in a way that causes people to misunderstand Jesus. And so what we do is we, we don't just exercise our freedoms in Christ just to, to benefit ourselves all the time. We're considering how this might impact somebody else. And so I ought to have areas in my life where I've, I've given up because I don't want to offend somebody. And I think it, 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 it might be telling if you don't have anything on your list when you're asking the question, what things have I given up for the sake of somebody else? And this isn't a call to be man-pleasers. You're not just giving it up to please man. That's, that's not the context. It's for the glory of God, right? It's to reflect him. Uh, Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but to the interest of others. You see, most of us are willing to serve as we started out the sermon this morning, most of us are willing to serve and sacrifice a great deal, right? But only under a contract model. Meaning, right? Well, how do you know if you're under, a, if that's how you're approaching this thing, under this service, this sacrifice? How do you know if you're approaching it under a contract model? One way to know is if you're looking for a payday, right? 
In other words, when your heart is like, okay, it's time for me to collect. Some of us, we can last a week. We can lay down our rights, our privileges, our freedoms for about a week. And at the end of the week, we're like, all right, it's time to collect. Right? Some of us, you know, we could last a year. We can last five years, but then we're done, and it's time to collect. But this calling that we have, church, this calling for us in Christ, right, we've been called to a whole new arrangement, to give up my things for others. Are we able to do that? To give up my freedoms. When I say things, I mean our freedoms, and that's hard. To make it my aim to please everyone, to live so that I'm a benefit to other people. Again, the question, and let's take this with us. What things have you given up for the sake of someone else? Will you take that with you? I think that's going to help refine us so that we can say what we see here at the end of the text, right? It tells us too, though, why, you know, as we're, as we're processing this question, what things have I given up, given up for the sake of of other people as we're processing that surely there's somebody in here like me going and you struggle with depending on the situation you're really if you're just honest with yourself as you try to come up with your list like I have if you're just honest you're asking why on earth would I do this right this person man they don't deserve for me to give that up right and it tells us here in the passage it tells us why we should do it and it's just a small little reason, if you look there in the text, not seeking my own benefit. I'm in verse 33, at the end. Not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many. And here's the small little reason, so that they might be saved. It's not really a small little reason, is it? So that they might be saved. Well, how are they saved? Where they get a picture of Christ. And we ought to ask ourselves, in the way we exercise our freedoms, our rights, are we a picture of Christ? Are we a picture of Christ? If we're not, how will they be saved? Right? How will they be saved? How will they get to know Christ if we're not imaging him? We are bought with a price. We are purchased purchase so that we might do this, so we might image him and point people to him. Can you say, can you say to others this morning, imitate me in the way I exercise my freedom in Christ? Can we say that to one another? Imitate me in the way I exercise my freedoms in Christ. Can you say, follow me in the way I follow Christ, as it says there in verse 1 of chapter 11? Imitate me in the way I follow Christ, in the way I build others up, right? Can we say that? Imitate me by showing concern for other people's conscience. Imitate me by making it your aim to do everything for his glory. Imitate by using all your freedoms to benefit other people so that they might mature in their salvation. Christ is our example here, isn't he? He is our example and what it looks like to give up our rights and freedoms and the care for others. Look how he cared for us. He certainly showed us the way, didn't he? And we could say, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way.
Will we take it? Will we take it? So we could be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Does our life reflect that kind of willing sacrifice where he voluntarily gave himself on the cross, humbled himself so that we might have salvation? Right? Dying for us, right? This unconditional care for us. Or are we trying to hold on to what's mine and what's ours, right? That's not how Christ presented. That's not how, if we would, we, we would not be bought and purchased the price of his blood if he took that approach. And since we're his, we can't, we can't call ourselves his, okay, if we don't take, also take that approach of giving up right, for his glory for his namesake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for help in these things to be able to say to one another, follow me as I follow Christ with our goal being to seek one another's good, not just our own good. There are certain things that, that, that come up in our, in our walk with you, Lord Jesus, that we're going to need help humbling ourselves and giving up our freedoms and our rights for the sake of other people, not demanding. And we thank you for your model and how you didn't come demanding <laughs> And, and, and Lord, you, you humbled yourself. Even while we were sinning against you. You could have come with a sword and, and judged us right there. The judgment is coming, but instead you, you came first to give us an opportunity to repent. And to turn to you. And your love and your care for us that compels us. To model, compels us to model what you have modeled for us. Lord, I pray that here in this congregation as we exercise our freedoms that people will be able to say that we are living for the benefit not of ourselves but with our aim to help people mature in their salvation with our aim to live our lives for your glory, not our own glory. Maybe we're willing to sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.